is why we need to have Greg start the show. God dang it. Greg is not here. He's late. He had to go to some council meeting because he wears suits and ties and stuff. But uh, this is John Johnston joined by Haas Reuter. And uh, this is the Five Heart Podcast. Already a mess. <laughs> kind of kind of like something we've been watching lately. A little bit, should we, yeah. Should we have Witty Benner? We just we got a lot to go over. Let's yeah, just get into it. We, we do have a lot to go over. Um, right now, the start to this vid screen, for lack of a better term, looks like our defense before the snap. What do you mean by that? Well, have you ever noticed, and we discussed this a little bit, but I'm talking more to the audience here. Um, before the snap, our guys are moving around, pointing, clapping, trying to get into position, You know, telling their teammate what where they're supposed to align. And you look around the country and you never see any other defenses doing that. Not at least not to the extent that Nebraska does it, which leads me to believe that there might be some bigger issues in terms of how the defense is being taught or the game plans being installed during the week. Um, if you're facing an offense that likes to change formations late in the play clock, you got to have an auto AFC automatic front coverage ready to go. Meaning, Hey, all week, you know, you talk about this is our AFC. We're lining this front, this coverage. Um, if they shift to something late, that's what we shift into. And so you eliminate the confusion. You let guys play fast and loose, you know, because they've prepped it all week during practice. Kind of like the the defensive version of an offense's scripted plays. I'm to the point where I don't really think that we have an automatic front coverage that's installed during the week because of all the pre-snap confusion. And it looks like our guys are running around like a fire drill. So what if they're not doing the AFC stuff? What are they doing? They're just like somebody somebody's making a call from the sideline, or one of the defensive backs is seeing from back there. He looks up and says, "Calls a play," or what the hell? Yeah, usually you know they'll when the offense shifts into something late, they'll have you know the defensive coordinator will be looking at what they're shifting into. And from there, you know, okay, they're in two by two, balls in the middle of the field. Okay, let's uh, let's just stay in a static cover four coverage, you know, four-man front, apex the nickel linebacker out onto a slot receiver. Um, and usually that takes the middle linebacker looking over to the graduate assistants, the guys, you know, with the different colored hats signaling in. And um, I just read one of the comments, and that's cool. I really don't give a fuck either. Um, (laughs) But, you know, they'll look over the sideline and they'll get the call from the graduate assistant. And now that middle linebacker's job is to communicate that to the defensive line, to the secondary, while the play clock is winding down. So it's a lot to process procedurally in a very short period of time. So why would he do this? Some defensive coordinators are real big on matching personnel or matching specific coverages that they installed during the week against an opponent. You know, opponent likes trips into the boundary on third and eight. We're going to go with cone coverage over there. And then they sh- maybe they align in something else and they shift to it late and with all the check with me stuff. And then – Defense is stuck doing the check with me yet again. I probably should have led with the check with me earlier. (laughs) 
Okay. You know what? You know what? It's really, I, it's really I, hard I getting distracted the game on by Saturday the- at the Good Life on 180th and uh, Pacific in Omaha, and great pizza, but uh, they didn't have Coors Banquet. They took it off the beer menu, so I was very disappointed. You were supposed to. You were supposed to ignore the comments at the beginning. Oh, damn. <laughs> Like what the okay. great Brian Toll told me. Don't read this. Is what, uh, this is what uh, happens when you miss a week, and we all wanted you last week for the Northwestern game. Okay, the offensive line. Let's let's talk about the offense first, all right? All right. Focus on me. Focus on me. Sorry. The offensive line. What is going on with our offensive line? What? I got two questions for you, okay? Number one. Our offensive line just looks like uh, there's no push. There's no pass protection on the right side, even with an unbalanced line to the right side. There's no pulling. Remember my thing about pulling. There's no pulling going on. What the hell is going on with our offensive line? Well, do you remember back in August when I said that Whipple's running game is very bland? Uh, It's pretty basic outside zone maybe an influence trap thrown in there in a power play. Well, it's somehow gotten even more bland, even more basic, where the extent of our run game, we we haven't done much outside zone yet, a little bit against Northwestern, not too much against North Dakota State. But we like to use a lot of duo and a lot of inside zone. And what we're not seeing is a lot of pulling linemen, like you referenced. And so – Duo relying on duo and inside zone, that's great. That's great if you got a starting offensive line, a front five who can just maul people off the ball like what Minnesota does. And if you're going to have that austere of a running game, you'd better be really good up front to move people off the ball without the threat of quarterback run, without you know, pulling linemen yeah. on counter yeah. and power and G lead and all that kind of stuff. Dart that the tackle pull play that. Ross ran a lot with Adrian, quarterback dart. So when when you're not getting a lot of push on your basic drive blocks, like you see in duo or inside zone, because we run a pretty tight version of inside zone. We're not stepping very wide. It's very tight to the line of scrimmage. you got to move people off the ball. And the fact that we're not pulling linemen, because you know the announcers even mentioned it on Saturday, it's the marriage of two offenses together. Whipple's offense, Frost's offense. The fact that we pulled so many linemen under Frost's offense before Whipple came in and then we're not now tells me that this staff really does not trust offensive linemen to pull. And a lot can go wrong when you pull. Um, You're talking defenders penetrating gaps, you know, running through blocks and stuff like that. But you got to have that in your back pocket in order to run the football in the Big Ten. I mean, when Frost mentioned that the offensive staff needed to get more creative, I think that was a pointed critique at Whipple, at Donovan Rayola, about running how to run the football in this conference. Okay, staying with that, uh, I mean, if basically if you're saying the uh, focus on me, focus on me, <laughs> if you're saying – that this is a problem with the marriage between these two guys. Isn't that evidence that Scott Frost needs more time with his offensive staff to to get things squared away, or is this is this just doom? It's I don't think it's evidence that he needs more time. I think it all goes back to you're in year five and you knew what you were getting when you hired him. 
You know, if you watched any tape of Pitt's offense last year, you knew what you were getting. And that brings me into a whole nother point about Frost was calling the plays on Saturday in the second half. I mean, if you go back and watch against Northwestern and in the first half against North Dakota, there's no play sheet and pilot G2 pen in his hand in either case. Second half starts, he's got the pen in his hand, he's got a play sheet. And if you'll notice late in the game before we score on the Chancellor Brewington, a Spider 2 Y Banana, John Gruden's favorite play, uh, you'll notice that Whipple is just totally observing as the offense is getting set. Uh, you know, he's not speaking in the headset, he's not looking into on his play sheet. He's got the play sheet kind of like this. Shield, I'm holding a notebook here. You can't really see it, but above his head, shielding the sun out of his eyes. He's not, you know, looking at what's going on on the sheet. So essentially, Whipple got defrocked in one and a half games by Frost for play calling duties. Uh, you know what? We're going to leave. You paid a million dollars to the guy, you brought him here on a two year contract. That is a leadership problem. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole yet. <laughs> we had, we have some scripted questions. We have scripted right. questions. We're trying to stay with the scripted play for at least the first 30 minutes, and then Greg will show up, and everything will just go to hell and explode. And, like uh, his, okay. I like his 14-0 and 0 prediction. Boy, that lasted long. <laughs> okay. You, wanted to, you want Whipple's passing game. If we, mm-hmm. we we have a bland running game, we don't have an offensive line, and we have a passing game, and you want to talk about the types of play calling. And uh, by the way, people, this this is what we're here for with Haas is this sexy talk that he does with the, the offensive spider wide banana stuff. Spider uh, but, wide banana. <laughs> but, John Green okay. YouTube videos of it. It's hilarious. What? What is the deal with uh, how Whipple is calling the passing game or the passing game that Nebraska is using? Well, it's definitely a pro pro style influence. And um, you'll notice, like I, I mentioned it on the podcast back in August, it's like the late 1990s, early 2000s, proto spread type passing game. So when the spread offense started exploding across college football, you saw a lot of uh, pro style pass plays like the drive concept, shallow cross, mesh, um, double posts, plays like that. You saw those now being run out of the shotgun instead of the old two-back, two split-back field formations of the NFL. But over time, the passing game kind of evolved to the point where it was quick hitters, getting the ball out real fast, just vacating, going to where defenders vacate in space, meaning sight adjustments. And right now, our offense is a little bit too dependent still on long developing pass plays like those pro style pass plays are. And I'm not using pro style as a pejorative. I love pro style passing games. I, I especially love pro style spread passing games. If you have the offensive line that can block for it. Um, right. It's a testament to Casey Thompson's arm strength. And he's able that he's able to get the ball downfield with no, really no blocking. You know, the pass rushes up in his chin he's able to still deliver the ball downfield. If you're going to run some of those longer developing plays, you got to have the pass protection. I'm not talking, we're not running like seven step drops, but you still got to give that receiver time to get across the field on a shallow cross or let the dig route develop. 
And then, so that leads me to, we need to go more to the spread passing game. Like what, not so much air raid, but like what you see in New England, what they did with Tom Brady from probably 2013 up until he left there to go to Tampa Bay. It was basically an NFL air raid with just getting the ball out fast, getting the ball out across the middle to a slot receiver like Edelman or Danny Amendola, and just really focusing on where defend defenders are vacating in coverage. So what – I mean, they had this problem last year where they didn't have an offensive line that could pass block, and they didn't get the ball out quick. I mean, they learned nothing. That's what you're saying. Pretty much, except here's the thing. Last year, we had we started to remedy that situation by rolling Adrian out. We started focusing a lot on play action, bootlegs. Uh, we ran a few play action passes off an option look. And so that kind of allowed us to buy time, basically manufacture pass protection through just moving the quarterback around the pocket. Okay. You you said before we started live, there is no motion in Whipple's offense, and it bugs you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when Eric Chenander talked about leveraging the football, defenders leveraging the football, and he's talking spill, squeeze, box, who's right. in primary run support, secondary run fit, stuff like that. But motion is leverage in football especially in college football with the wide hashes. If you can start a player on one side and motion him to the other, whether it's on you know quick motion like jet motion or escort motion, you're outflanking your opponent to one side. And so right. it also functions like what we talked about earlier with our defense, not having an automatic front coverage, not getting a line. It's also similar to that where, you know, if we're going to motion and we're going to change the look right at the snap and gain an extra blocker over here or an extra receiver over here and flood a coverage zone, we're able to force that defense to think on the fly again. So that's what we need to incorporate more motion. I, I'm I am going to OC this thing, you know, to start the show, but you know, those are the things that I have noticed. I am going to take one comment from Brian Anderson. He says, can we just stop talking about everything and bring up the main issue? How do we get rid of frost? Brian, listen, I'm an older guy and you just, you know, you just know that it, things just, it's going to work out. It's going to happen. It's, you know what I mean? It, things will happen and we, we're just going to let this season play out. And at some point frost will be fired. It's okay. In the meantime, we're going to talk about everything that's wrong yeah. with the team. I will have this for Brian. Four and eight, five and seven, three and five, three and nine. That's all it needs to be said. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. And <sighs> real quick, I do want to address what Jeff O'Connor said, uh, that he liked the offense where Frost was taking the offense last year with the triple option. Um, I agree. I really liked a lot of those Coastal Carolina concepts that we were running. You know, you can tell that Frost had collaborated with Jamie Chadwell. And um, it'd be nice to have another receiver like Samari Toure on this roster, and having Austin Allen would be nice too. <laughs> and, man, Anthony Grant would have been great on last year's offense. Okay, so how is Anthony Grant getting all of his yardage if our offensive line is so terrible? Do you remember when Amir Abdullah would dodge 
tacklers three yards deep in the backfield and still rip off ridiculous runs. Yeah, it's kind of like that. I mean, Anthony Grant's our best back we've had since Amir. I know it's only an eight-year time frame, but we've had some pretty – with the exception of Divino Zigbo, we've had some pretty pedestrian tailbacks in that time period. Like Dedrick Mills. Oof. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, okay. I know that this is this is not a subject that we talked about for the show, but I remember you mentioning it. And I think that, you know, to kind of appease a Brian Anderson type guy, I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask everybody this question. All you people that are sending in these comments that are distracting Haas all over the place, I want you to answer this question. It's very simple. Does it have to be a Nebraska guy? Hell no. I want the best okay, football I, coach. I don't I, care if he's from I don't care if he's from Axtell, Nebraska, Anselmo, Nebraska, or I don't care if he's from Maine. Like just go out and hire the best coach that you can. Bob Devaney had no connections to Nebraska. Bob Stoops had no connections to Oklahoma. Urban Mott, well, Urban was from Ohio. I'll, I'll leave that one alone. Uh, Nick Saban had no connections to Alabama. Pete Carroll, none to USC. This way of thinking that's got to be a Nebraska guy, that's like program incest where, you know, you're not attracting the best and brightest. You're putting a, you know, prerequisite on the job of, hey, were you born within the 450 miles of, you know, 450 mile width of Nebraska? I could care. Le- I could not care less where they're from, as long as they want the job, put together a top-notch staff, recruit well, teach the game well, develop players, and win games. Cornhusker Corner says, "Hell no! I am ready to sell my soul for wins." Laughing my ass off. I think you're not laughing your ass off. I think that's a real statement. Uh, you put that just saying thing on the end of it, so it wouldn't seem so serious. But I'm guessing you're not that bad. Uh, let's see. People really want oh, my her. God. <laughs> Brian Anderson, again, stop riding the nostalgia bus and just find someone that can win and build a functional program. Brian Anderson is now my favorite Nebraska fan. Thank you, Brian. Now, let me ask you, Haas. You are in Nebraska, right? You live in Omaha? Yes, sir. So you walk around amongst Nebraska fans? Yeah, except for On the Iowa basis. fans in West O. You know, Omaha's the 38th parallel for the Nebraska-Iowa rivalry. Do you think that the 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 pulse of Husker Nation is to the point that they're they're okay if we our next coach is not a Nebraska guy? Yes. I mean, what do you say? My only, my life outside my, my house walls is doing a, making a two mile walk and going to doctors. <laughs> hey, that two mile walk is good for you. Get those legs. Yeah. Uh, yes. I think people are to the point where they want to win. They want, a, they're hungry for a winner. It's like what, remember those Husker Century DVDs that PBS did back in the yeah. early 2000s? They had that quote about Bill, that Bill Jennings said when he, got fired from Nebraska, that Nebraska is hungry. Nebraskans are hungry to be known for something nationally, whether it's electing a president out of the state or something. And he's like, I can't feed that basically insecurity with a football team. 
And we yeah. basically come full circle to being back in the Bill Jennings era at this point. People are hungry for a win. You'll you'll run into a few people. I run into a few people from time to time that if Frost can't get it done, by God, there's no one that can. Or they think that, you know, it, Riley nuked the program so badly that it's a 10-year rebuild. I think it's kind of funny that Frost's first couple of years of success, success uh, defined loosely in his tenure uh, came with Riley's guys. You know, you say the same thing about Polini with Callahan's guys. You know, Riley, things dropped off after he lost Polini's guys. Just everybody says that over and over and over again. But now it's to the point where I think probably 70% of the people in the Omaha area, they're resigned to the fact that we're bad. Frost isn't going to turn it around. It's got to be somebody else. It's got to be fresh blood that comes into the program. Like not going out and hiring Craig Bull. That would be my worst nightmare. Somebody asked me that Monday night. Yeah, I've got I I've gotten that a lot from people. And he is a good coach, but you know the term uh, "water finds level ground." Craig Bull found no, but you always have these things. Hey, you know. Axioms, metaphors, analogies, as one grad school professor said, those are a sign of intelligence. Uh, I'm a knuckle dragger for what it's worth. I had to work my ass off through grad school. I'm not a genius. Um, but basically, Craig Bull's perfect for Wyoming. There you have it. Uh, but you know what? We, we should mention this. Did you watch the game tonight, volleyball? I did not. I was actually um, busy Nebraska. watching. I was actually busy watching our 2019 games on YouTube to see, look for any tangible progress that had been made. Couldn't find it. Okay. I well, Nebraska. Wandale Robinson is freshman year. He was not good. Wandale Robinson wasn't. He was not good his freshman year. Too many mistakes. He'd show a flash, and then he'd drop a screen pass on third and eight against Minnesota. You know. Freshman mistakes, but it's a testament to how he developed at once he left here and went to Kentucky, and now he's with the New York Giants. Well, Nebraska played Creighton, and it was a sellout crowd, the biggest uh, sellout to ever see a volleyball game in the history of mankind. And uh, Barstool Sports tweeted something about uh, how college sports are just different in Nebraska, and all the bros chimed in about there's nothing to do there, and their football team's terrible, so they watch volleyball. And, you know, I feel sorry for all these people that have that mentality that they don't look at volleyball as one of the most incredible sports available to us. I mean, my God, you know, the women are incredibly athletic. They, the game is fast. And then uh, – Fox Sports at exactly 7.30 cut over to a Major League Baseball game and made everybody on volleyball move to Fox Sports 2. Well, you, Which, you I'm, know, Major League Baseball to me is – I'd rather be bled to death by the leeches than yeah, watch I Major League baseball. baseball. I, I can't stand it's baseball. Just, Whether it's college or pro, I'll go to the College World Series, you know, go drink downtown, you know, every June. But I'm not there really for the baseball. Um, just never been a baseball guy. But volleyball. I'm glad that you mentioned that. John Cook came and talked to one of my graduate school classes back in the spring for a project that we were doing as a class. And uh, one thing I kept thinking is, and he was a football coach at one point in his coaching career, high school, you know, high school football in California before he got into coaching volleyball. But 
one thing I kept thinking about is if you put this guy in college football, he'd probably have the same results as what he's doing in volleyball. Some people can just coach. They get it. You know, it's, you know, it's a people business. X, you know, like Barry Switzer said, it's not the X's and the O's, it's the Jimmy's and the Joe's. Now, John Cook's not a Nebraska guy, but look at that run of dominance. So anybody who wants a Nebraska guy thinks that a Nebraska guy has to be hired. I mean, there's so many different data points that basically make that argument null and void. Well, it was a great game. Nebraska won the first two sets. Looked like they were going to sweep. The games were close. Creighton played hard. Then they won the next two sets. And, uh, I mean, it looked like Creighton was going to win the match. And then John Cook does what he does. He, I think he just – you know, we have Beth as our volleyball expert. Who, she actually coached and played in Division One and uh, Oh, did she really? I think he moved people around to see how they, they'd play together. And then in this fifth set, he just said, well, okay, let's win. And then they they just, you know, they did. They just, bah, you know, they got behind a little bit early, and then they just started steamrolling Creighton. I, I, somebody said this. I didn't realize it was true. Creighton has never beaten Nebraska in volleyball. So that stays intact. Yeah. So screw them freaking Omaha rich people. <laughs> no, okay. No, I'm gonna get crucified for this, but like, I am from Omaha. I am Catholic. I do like Creighton basketball. Now, here's the caveat. Now, here's the caveat. <laughs> when they play <laughs> Nebraska, I am always a Nebraska basketball fan first and foremost. So I'm cool with Creighton. I even have a Creighton hoodie, but I'm a Nebraska ball guy to the core. Thank God you clarified that. Okay, yeah. back to football. What what else do we have about football? Um, well, I saw a comment here uh, from Ray that says, "Why?" Basically, asking why is our defensive line, offensive line weak? They seem weak. They need to be more nasty. You know, be Mike Tyson. I love that idea. Um, that that's something that really bugs me about our offensive line. Because if you take a look around the country in college football, whether it's in the Big Ten or nationally, you'll see offensive linemen that, you know, they look the part. You know, they look, you know, well-developed, physically well-developed. They play like they're physically well-developed, like they're well-coached. Our guys look like big 10th graders. I mean, their arms are just, you know, smooth. There's no there's no definite, you know, there's, there's you can, I'm not saying like they're carrying bad weight. It's just like they look undersized even at, you know, Bryce Benhart, 6'8", 320, just looks – I'm not saying he plays soft, but he just looks kind of soft, you know, physically. And that goes back to I think that the strength and conditioning staff has been largely a paper tiger during Frost tenure here. Um, I, I don't know enough about strength and conditioning, you know, methodologies, even though I'm a regular lifter. I don't know enough about them to really comment on it. But – it just looks like there is something where we are not developing guys like a big time college football program should. Okay. It, it, what's the you guy? Walk. Dominic Revol- Rayola, the head yeah. coach, the offensive line coach. Uh, I hate to say this. He hasn't taught our offensive line anything, has he? No. 
I mean, honest to God, they, they can't. I think, you know, you missed the Northwestern, you know, after the Northwestern game because you were sick. 18 run plays in a row. Yep. What the hell happened there? They ran counter. They ran yeah. power. They ran inside zone. And they basically stole our souls to end that game. Okay, before you go on with that, Scott Frost's comment about that game was they ran stuff we'd never seen before. Who the fuck hasn't seen a counter? Okay. Inside zone. They they didn't run anything we've never seen before. Did I say this in our Slack chat to you before leading up to Wednesday and then I was sick on Wednesday? Okay, counter. Backside guard and tackle pulling, you know, counter trap, counter sweep, whatever you want to call it. Okay, that's a day one install. When you're first day of fall camp, I would even go as far to say first day of spring ball when you're installing your base defense. Hey, this is our run fit against inside zone. This is our run fit against counter. Are we spilling it or are we boxing it back in? Are we wrong arming the defender or are we squeezing down the down block? The fact that he said that they were running stuff that they had never seen, you know, didn't prepare for. Your defense should always be prepared to defend counter. Every team in America runs it. Might as well be called America's play. You know, everybody runs counter. So the fact that the fact that we can't whiteboard it on the fly, on the sideline, hey, we didn't really go over this, but hey, this is what we're doing. Garrett Nelson, you're going to squeeze this down block, and then you're going to try to – you know, or you're going to wrong arm the polar to force it further outside where the safety or the corner is going to come up to make the tackle. Everybody runs counter. Everybody runs it. If you're not familiar with it as a defensive coordinator, if you're not familiar with it as a head coach and you're surprised, oh, Northwestern runs counter, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe this business is not for you. I'm thinking I'm still, that's a T-shirt. I'm off about that one. I kind of forgot about it until you brought it up. <laughs> It's counter. Yeah, it wasn't really anything. You know, it wasn't like they, they, everybody's seen every football play every ever done. That's really. the thing I mean, Ross, too, where he talks about, oh, they ran stuff we didn't prepare. Like, oh, my f- personal favorite, Illinois last year. They came out in an odd front. Okay, where's your rule-based offensive line schemes? Am I covered or uncovered? Oh, I'm covered to my play side shoulder. I block him. Hey, I'm uncovered my play side shoulder, but the guy next to me has a defender on. I'm going to go help him. Oh, the center made a call. I'm going to go do this instead. Frost, I didn't know this was going to turn into such a ragging on Frost episode. Well, God, you know, that's where we're at, unfortunately. The fact of the matter is if you can't, you can't sit there and act like every play that somebody runs is like proprietary to their own program there are no original football plays everybody's a thief in football they steal them from other people you watch if you watch film you know what they're going to do oh we thought illinois was going to be in an even front they're in an odd front okay well we're just going to zone the piss out of them until we get it figured out you know it's that simple okay i want you to respond to uh here's jeff o'connor and jeff o'connor says i actually think the o-line is improving you don't have a guy go for 189, and I know it was North Dakota, with the O-line not at least getting in the way. 
he also sneakily got over 100 against Northwestern. So on a counter play that we ran. Uh, yeah, I, I want Grant is a special talent. 189 is 189. Like that's a lot of yards. But here's the thing. And you mentioned it here, Jeff. It is North Dakota. Late in the game, we took over that run game basically because we overpowered them and we had better depth than them. Um, but if you go back and you watch it, there are a lot of times that Grant is really making guys miss three yards deep in the backfield and still getting out of there and picking up positive yards. He was doing the bulk of the work himself. So, I'm gonna Greg is I was improving. It, it pains me so much to see such a bad offensive line. Okay, Greg is with us. Hello, Joe. How's it going, Greg? It'd be going better if I remember the microphone. Uh, okay, so we, we mostly uh, spent the first 30 minutes bashing on Frost. I kind of, I kind of, you know what? I didn't want to do that, but the honest God truth is, Haas, is there anything good we're doing? Can we be positive? I see people like, oh, we need to be positive. You know, I don't see it on our comments, but I see it like on our Facebook page. You guys our, are so negative. Our receivers are good. Are they? Yeah, I like Marcus Washington and Trey Palmer. Omar where Manning was, is pretty um, much an urban legend at this point. Where, where was Garcia Castaneda this past week? Yeah, we didn't see him much. And that's a guy that I really like for that slot receiver position. He 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 was in the participation report. So Yeah, he, 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 fielded, he fielded a couple of punts. Okay. Is there okay? So we have Casey Thompson. What what about his play? He's. I like Casey Thompson. I think he's playing well. Um, if we had more of, excuse me, nice hiccup there. Um, if we had an offensive line that could do, you know, execute and pass protection, I think he'd be a whole lot better. But right now, you know, he's he's getting things done. I mean. Couldn't ask for much more from him except for not throwing three interceptions in the first two games. Anything else good? Linebackers? Well, Anthony Grant, obviously. Anthony Grant. Right. Damn good. I mean, future, probably future day one NFL starter good. Defensive backs. Sorry for the pause. No, you know, that's okay. the old man part of me. Um, defensive back, Marquez, Bu Marquez Buford. I'm, 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 for some reason, it just didn't sound right when I said it. He is settling in. And I'd like to see him, like he had a rough start to the Northwestern game. He got better as the game went on. I would like to see him against better competition before really making a distinction. But I like the way that he's playing. Quentin Newsom is a good corner he's playing well uh miles farmer should probably be a linebacker at this point uh, like that nickel linebacker uh, that kind of size the line of scrimmage would be pretty well or pretty good i wow that was a bad uh i got distracted by somebody making fun of greg in the comments uh, <laughs> i'm having a problem today getting distracted sorry you are um, i told you focus on me defensive end wise 
Uh, I don't. We generated good pressure against North Dakota, but it again, it was North Dakota. I need to see that kind of pressure against, you know, Georgia Southern would be a nice start with how pass happy their offense is. Oklahoma. Because right now, Garrett Nelson plays with high energy. He has not played very good football so far this season. No. And O'Shawn Mathis, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, you know, cutting his teeth with a new program. So. Oh, boy. So, is Josh call you Craig all the time? All the time. Yeah. You know, I'm going to start calling you that now, too. <sighs> okay. What, who I've been is this? By better people. Uh, Cornhusker corner win is really is a bright spot to me. Uh, defensive line, God, we're just getting, I don't know. I'm, I'm letting myself be drug into the, the beating up Scott Frost thing, and I, I really tried not to do that or didn't want oh, to do that. We have an Oklahoma fan has entered the chat. I think that it's uh, it's really difficult. I, Stefan Wynn has been a uh, bright spot. To quote, uh, to paraphrase Frank Solich, Stefan Wynn is moving around well. You know, you know what I like about uh, doing these shows uh, twice a week. You know, there's uh, John and Todd's Monday Night Therapy, and then there's this Wednesday night, uh, the Five Heart Podcast recording live. But I love to listen to the Monday Night Show. And, and pick up things, uh, reactionary points. One of the things that I talked about is it, somehow a one-on-one team whose win is against FCS North Dakota, which credit Zombie Devaney on Twitter, uh, on, in my Twitter feed on Saturday, called it the fourth best team from the Dakotas. <laughs> uh, and, and that's Nebraska's win. Yes, somehow, John, correct me if I'm wrong, but Todd's drinking a little bit of Kool-Aid. Todd Woverton? Yes. He says, you know, Why do you uh, say it, based on the, the, the show two nights ago that, that, you know, I finished listening to the, you know, today, uh, he says, you know, Hey, obviously we got to take care of uh, business against Georgia Southern, but, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska, that's always one of those. You know, I could see it going our way. <laughs> and 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 I don't say I think, that for, I, think, I don't say that specifically for the benefit of our of our uh, uh, sooner uh, fans who are who are tuning in this evening, but it's just I, I I again I kept the list. I wrote down everything and Oh my I god was, I was the only one, you know, Check three weeks ago. Who said you know Nebraska win? Everybody else, all, all three. You said Oklahoma. Now, it, it, Ethan stupefied. I fully admit I'm a homer. You know, it's 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 all hopes and prayers. I had us going twelve and zero. Obviously, that got ruined in Dublin in week zero. But the fact that Todd's even making the notion after watching <laughs> the game against Northwestern. After watching the first half uh, of of the North Dakota game, and he's like, you know, I I think I think some things could go right. We could get that W. You know, I okay. We you know what we are we are trying. We were trying our best on that show to 
you kind of get to the thing where the season gets to play out. You know what I mean? And you know how peer pressure is. You just kind of like, okay, well, maybe something could happen. I guess it's like holding out hope that, you know, maybe somebody would come along and just say, here's what's going to happen and here's what you're going to do and you're going to win some games. And, uh, you know, even in my – even after all the Scott Frost bitching I've done, there's still this tinge of me that just wants to go, okay, something – a light's going to go off. And uh, – and and suddenly we're going to be better on we're going to block and we're going to tackle and those things. God has really, entered the chat. We're not we're not going to do those things. Jeff O'Connor says ones versus ones this week. What I want to know is why this hasn't happened more. I get injuries and all that, but that should have been happening already. Uh, Haas, comment on that. You know, I I agree with Jeff. You know, it probably should have been happening because I think that our practice. <laughs> methodologies aren't probably the best and it's reflected in the way we play lack of preparation. But I also think that there's a lot of issues with going one, one on ones, good on good on a regular basis because of the injury issue, especially in today's day and age, you know, college football, one injury could derail your entire season. And but I, did yeah, but add, how- I did want to add something about the what? Oklahoma game when you guys were talking about the OU game and Todd's newfound optimism. After the Northwestern game, I had I was talking to a buddy of mine after the game. I told him, I was like, you know, we'll, we probably won't get blown out by anyone this year. It'll be close, just like last year, to everyone. But I was like, here, I can almost see it perfectly how the OU game will go. Nebraska will be down four with a couple minutes left. We'll be driving, maybe even get inside the OU 30, and there'll be something really weird. Tip ball, you know, picked off, fumble. Just you name it, it'll happen because we invent more ways to lose. You know, I'm just basically I'm dead inside anymore when a game's inside two minutes and we're, we have a chance to go down and score because, like Frost said before the or after the Illinois game last year, seen this movie before. Yeah, he had said that. Yeah, Craig, go ahead. I'm sorry, I can't. I cannot remember if my name is Greg or Craig at this point. Um, but speaking of Craig's, uh, it, this was again going back to the Monday Night Show, where uh, one of the viewers and commenters uh, asked, you know, when Scott Frost's time is done, they they say, well, you know, they're throwing out the Urban Myers and, and the Matt Campbells, and somebody said Craig Bowl and John. I appreciate it, and I commented this in in our. Uh, smaller slack group because you, you shot it down quickly but my my follow-up question to that from the fan base writ large not i think there's the uh there's the there's the fan base i think maybe the the fan base that chancellor brewington's talking about and i don't even know if you guys have discussed that uh and then no. there's there's the a little more i don't want to say dialed in tuned in but uh, the ones who are watching this who, who who find maybe alternate media um and uh, uh my my question for the the fan base in general is would you rather have a nebraska guy like we have like uh craig bull would be or would you rather have a winner you know um and i think so many people oh, yeah. want, um it, it, I, I agree. 
But but I think so many people are like, well, can we marry the two? And and that's what Scott Frost was supposed to be. Uh, it just, you know, four plus years in. And we don't know how, going back to what you said, John, we don't know how the rest of, of 2022 is going to play out. They could be 11 and one. You know, crazier things have happened in the world of college football. Again, I'll keep I'll keep saying Kool Aid with the strict nine or with the cyanide. I don't care. Um, yeah, I said earlier that I said Craig. Somebody else this week said to me, "What do you think about Craig Bowl?" And I was like, "That is my worst possible nightmare." <laughs> <laughs> so like, yes, my eyes about pulled out of their sockets. I was just no, but uh, tell you who I want: Dave Aranda. Okay. I mean, so are we going here? Are we going here? I mean, yes, I we are. I, you I, just brought it up. Okay. Dave Aranda. Tell us about Dave Aranda, you son of a bitch. I was going to hold this off for a while until it actually happened. But, oh, great. You know, it's kind of like bringing up something in court. Yep. Hey, you brought I, it up. Now we have to discuss yeah, it. Now I got to talk about it. And yes, Josh, that is also my worst nightmare. Um, Dave Aranda, great defensive coordinator. Uh, you can see what he did at Utah State under Gary Anderson, at Wisconsin under Anderson, at LSU, what he's doing now at Baylor. Um, I really like the approach that he takes to coaching, program building. I've watched a lot of his clinic tapes. Smart guy. Uh, knows the importance of hiring the best assistants, not just bringing your entire crew. I like somebody else we know what they did. And uh, if he could bring Jeff Grimes, their offensive coordinator, with him from Baylor, that's a perfect match for the Big Ten. You're talking, you know, spread spread to run offense, very physical at the line of scrimmage, mix in some option, good tailback run game. I think Dave Aranda, the way he approaches building a program and coaching college football, very reminiscent of Tom Osborne, very reminiscent from that standpoint. Yes, great. I have a more general question because you were very specific uh, in your Dave Aranda, uh, not, not not diagnosis, but um, review or, or analysis. Perhaps would you would you prefer your head coach to be more offensive or defensive minded? Honestly, I don't care at this point as long as they're a good CEO. <laughs> okay. As long as they're a good CEO and they hire the best people, best assistants they can, and they bring in, you know the talent that they need and they develop that talent. I don't care if it's an offensive guy who runs, wants to run the wishbone. I don't care if it's a defensive guy who wants to play, you know, Beamer ball, like what Virginia Tech used to do. I just want to win games and have a strong program. I don't want to be this paper tiger, you know, social media off-season national champions every year. I, I want to win real football games. Uh, some of the people that doubt that he leaves Baylor, he is – very well compensated down there in Waco, but it's going to get harder. You know, even with the college football playoff expansion, you don't know how much longer the Big 12 is going to have a viable road into the playoff. And, you know, why not try Nebraska? Well, I still think it'd be, I think there's guys on this staff who would probably, on our staff right now, who would probably be on Aranda's staff. Bill Bush coached safeties for Aranda at Utah State, at Wisconsin, and at LSU. Vince Ginta, recruiting director under Callahan, was Aranda's recruiting director at Baylor for the past couple of years. Mickey Joseph coached with him at LSU. I mean, there's a lot of institutional memory there on both sides. Aranda's defense, working with Aranda, familiarity with Nebraska. 
I say offer him 12 million, make him say no. That's what's going to take. If we want to hit a home run, we're going to have to spend upwards of 12 million. Are you yeah, serious? I mean, look at what Mel Tucker's making after two years at Michigan State. Uh, no, to that point, though, I mean, you're, you're talking about, and, and I understand the reasoning because the the Big Ten is expanding, SEC is expanding, the Pac-12 is not, and the Big 12 is, you know, losing their top two brands. I mean, if you want, if you want to base base an institution down to its 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 core, it's it's a brand. You know, in, in Texas oh, and Oklahoma yeah. leaving. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good point, though, as far as going back to what you said towards the beginning of, of the uh, Dave Aranda talk is how long is the Big 12 going to be viable for creating teams that are competitive enough to get a look at, uh, you know, playing for national championships? And so if you have a head coach uh, who's, who's stuck in a situation like that and he has – you know, championship aspirations. And I mean, I reasonably, you know, think that they all do. Why not? Like you said, why not open up the checkbook and, and Haas is as blunt as you were, make them say, make them, make them turn down 10, 11, 12,000. Uh, 12, <laughs> that's a, that'd be an easy one to turn down, but million might, you know, that, that's a few more uh, steak dinners. Well, you know, and the other thing you really think it's gonna it's gonna be twelve million dollars to hire a coach. Yeah, that's what's getting to be when you got Mel Tucker making eleven million. You know, Michigan oh my State. God, he is, isn't he? Yeah, that that's what this is getting to at this point. And while we're on the Aranda topic, if you want to see a great football game this Saturday, watch BYU and uh, BYU Baylor. Dave Aranda isn't leaving Baylor. Fied, says Dave Aranda isn't leaving Baylor for Nebraska. Why would he? For $12 million, you son of a bitch. Uh, that's why. Oh, yeah. uh, <sighs> give me weigh in on this because I've seen this a few times in, in the chat, and I don't know if John wants to highlight one, but uh, Zach Taylor. I mean, obviously, he's coming off a hell of a uh, run at, at Cincinnati where you know his team was AFC champions. And, you know, they're poised to make another run. You, I guess maybe first let's talk basics, the difference uh, between being a head coach in the NFL versus in college football. You know, that, that whole thing, difference between college football and pro football, what, football is football. You know, the schemes are all the same. It's how well do you relate to players. If you can command the respect of grown men in an NFL locker room, you're going to be able to command the respect of, you know, 18 to 22-year-old college students, you know, college athletes. But as Aaron points out that he will not give up one of 32 best jobs in his profession, that's what it all comes down to. Barring him getting fired, he's not – a sitting head coach is not leaving the NFL for a college gig, unless you pull a Bobby Petrino rat move and quit in the middle of the season, you know? Um, and the other thing, and this is kind of, you know, this is hard to say because he did play, get his team to a Super Bowl. There's not a large enough sample size. I mean, like, you know, we hired Frost off of two years at UCF. Yeah. One of them was 13 and 0, but man, like, 
that's not a large enough sample size to really see if somebody's going to be successful long term. Also, Cincinnati just hit a heater going into the playoffs with upsetting KC in the second to last week of the regular season and then getting rolling. I just don't know whether he's the real deal or not. Josh Hansen says, I just glanced at the setup for the 12-team playoff, but did it say top six conference championships and top six at large? Yes, it did. Uh, but I, why can't I think of six conferences that have a, should have a champion? Uh, if the RMAC champs are better than Mountain West, do they get a go? Well, technically they do. Um, here's the thing. Six conferences. Well, I guess I'll leave that up for a minute. Uh, six conferences would be what? They, I mean, obviously the Big Ten, SEC, ACC, PAC, whatever they're going to be, that's four. Big 12, they're still viable. That's five. And then probably – The American Athletic Conference is considered the powers. You know how they brand themselves as the power six? You know, the sixth power five school, you know, however you want to word it. That's kind of – that's the one they're looking at. Do you mean they say that again? The American Athletic Conference, you know how they brand themselves as Power Six, P Six, okay. Power right. Five. You know that's AAC. You'll probably start getting an automatic bid. I don't. That that whole playoff thing, I I looked at and I thought, okay, they just wanted to announce that they're going forward with it, and they'll figure all the logistics out later. I don't think it was. I I don't know. I guess I, it bothers me because they have a perfect chance to, to – if they're going to blow up college football, and that's what we're doing, they had a perfect chance to blow it all up and not really get rid of the Bulls. On the boat, nobody pay attention to them anymore. They could have had the games on college campuses or move championship games into the north, and they just like, aren't going be. to. And Football's meant to be – Before I die, I want to see Alabama play fucking Michigan in Ann Arbor in December. That's what I want, Okay. I want to watch one of the SEC schools leave their home state and play a game somewhere else. Yeah, like Oregon, Georgia playing a neutral site game in Atlanta where Georgia had to travel about an hour and 10 minutes and Oregon had to travel across the entire country. It's not a neutral site game. Okay, show. let's see, uh, Jake. Jay Keach says, John, do you think Frost should have been fired last year? Yes, I said that publicly. I feel like if they fire him now, we're starting over again. What do you think? Okay. You, you guys would chime in. Where did we get this idea that it takes five years to build a program? Somewhere, everywhere out there in Husker Nation, there's this idea that we're going to start over and it's going to take five years before we get anywhere. We have gotten nowhere five years under Scott Frost. Uh, and we were told for the first two or three years that Mike Riley destroyed the program and therefore it would take oh, years to build culture, years to do it. You didn't even get to a bowl game. So I think when you look at this, are we starting over? I, yeah, we're going to start over, but we're going to start over with a hopefully a coach that actually knows how to coach at the Big Ten level and win power five football games, which is what we do not have now. And that's really sad. I, you know, it's, there's no joy in watching Scott Frost become the worst football coach in Nebraska history. Yeah, and you can argue about percentages all you want, but it's it's there's no fun in this. To echo your it doesn't take five years to build a program. You see coaches flip horrible programs within two years. I mean, 
we want to still act like we haven't hit rock the depths of rock bottom that OU did in the 90s. Well, we have. And Stoops came in there and flipped it in two years to win a national championship. And that's a – I didn't even realize we got a couple of OU fans. I totally forgot about that in the chat. Nicely done on flipping your program around because you didn't keep trying to hire Oklahoma guys like we keep trying to recre- you know, recreate Camelot with hiring Nebraska guys. Um, so it doesn't take five years. Mel Tucker comes in and he flips it around. You know, yeah. I – if this was going to work, we would have known it. We wouldn't have started 0-6 in 2018. I'll be that blunt. We, no, Mike Riley ran the program down. You know, there's no doubt about that. 17, that was a dumpster fire. But we were not that so bad at the end of 2017 to constitute starting 0-6 the following year. Like, and that, that excuse, that excuse of, Oh, it's he he burned down the program. He recruited well. He stocked the, you know, he stocked the cupboard with talent. So what's the excuse? Uh, guys weren't doing squats. Well, that's factually, you know, that's patently false. I've went to a few coaches' clinics, witnessed the players doing squats in the weight room. You know, that's one thing that's always pissed me off with this staff. They love to just pile it on on the former staff. You know, they don't take any accountability for their wrongdoing. So culture can be flipped in a year, can be flipped in two years. It doesn't take five. Oh, boy. All right, got a little heated there. A lot of questions right. uh, coming in about, about the coaching, and it feels like it's going to be the biggest topic uh, on the show until either the season ends and there's significant progress uh, this is, this is fun because a couple years ago, it Hoss with you was incremental improvement. Now we're to the point of needing empirical evidence. Uh, but <laughs> we haven't shown any incremental improvement. None. Right. But but it's unless there's significant progress, you know. It, but that's, that's I feel like that's going to be the nature of our conversations on this show on. on this on coordination is, you know, it's, it's maybe not the hot seat. It's the, um, but it, it's the time bomb, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when I, I don't want it to necessarily take up every episode of the show. Um, but, uh, since you've highlighted and, and you've been patient enough uh, with Joel's uh, question is, is Frost going to be fired in October? I mean, John, I know you and Todd addressed this a little bit. We don't know. I mean, we we got to get through September, yeah. right? Yeah, that's the it, you know, it's not our decision, and you know, I hate to be crude, but there's the old guy joke. You know, the the what's the old bull say to the young bull? The young bull says, "Look, there's a cow. Let's run over and fuck her." And the old bull says, "Let's walk over and fuck them all." And it's a crude joke. But you know what? It, it describes the difference, I guess, between young people and old people. You kind of look at it and go, it's going to play itself out. And the thing is, is we're still doing content. We're still doing shows and we still like interesting stuff to talk about. And unfortunately, there's not – when you look at this football team, I just – there's not really a lot that's great going on. You know, I – 
Uh, that's why Todd and I Monday night kind of went, okay, well, maybe some magic will happen and, and we'll win games. You know, there's a real chance we could lose to Georgia Southern. And like I said, Monday night, if you're worried about that, it's, it's over. I mean, it's kind of, we know where we're at. We know where we're going and it's just going to be a matter of, of getting there and, and hopefully holding us all together while we get there. Uh, yeah. No, I personally, I, I know I said during the prediction show that Frost, you know, he fired in October. Anymore, it's kind of like, at what point does that really solve anything? I, like firing him in season, unless you want to give the players a chance to rally. If it's bad, you you know, as much as I don't think he's the fit for Nebraska, you let the guy go out with the dignity of, you know, getting to the end of the season. But who knows? You know, like you said, you know, you just got to let it play out, John. Well, here, you know what? I'm putting this one up because I know you saw it. JM says, this guy reminds me of a 14-year-old who had learned a little lingo and thinks he is an expert. Maybe we should hire this guy since he sees it so clearly. Pause. I mean, would I do it for like $100,000 a year? Yeah, you know, because, you know, I have no experience coaching the game. Just a guy who likes to – who studies a lot of film, watches, you know, a lot of football, understands it at a – I'd say decently high level. I'm by no means an expert, but um, thanks, Jam. Thank you. Say, he, he had I'm, I'm going to take that as a compliment based on my youthful appearance, you know, hairline notwithstanding. <laughs> he had to be talking about Haas. Haas is the smartest of the bunch. So, yeah. Todd yeah, Haas yeah, earlier in the show was doing all the lingo spider Y2 banana, you know, <laughs> duo zone bingo. So, John, one thing over the summer, I want, I want, I want you to be able to have these conversations. You know, X and O's. Oh my God! I'm going to send you a copy of the 2005 Carolina Panthers PDF copy, their playbook, and you're going to learn that entire offense inside and out. That will do more to teach you football than anything else. It's the definitive. You know, I, I used to. I used to know a lot of this stuff, but and I used to be decent at the zone read inverted veer kind of stuff. But I, you know, then I died and I lost it all. <laughs> it's kind of like knots. Did you guys know that I used to teach Boy Scouts how to tie knots? That's a good skill. Yeah, it is. It really is, especially when you're in trouble. You know, the bow line, the half hitch, double hitch, all that stuff. I couldn't tie the. I don't remember any of that shit. Where the dam, you know, the uh, I was the, never, whole line, I was the never rabbit heard. comes up, hole goes around the tree and back down the hole. Hmm. Damn, I that, that's like, yeah, I have no idea what you just said. I, uh, I, I wouldn't have said, I've, line, I've seen it a couple times, um, in, in the comments about my audio specifically, and I believe it. We have, uh, thanks, Roger. Uh, we have, uh, Seen it within an experience. It feels like it's always the third man in on on the on the call gets the cracky audio. So my apologies. Uh, what I like to do is ask the questions and let uh, let you guys answer the questions. Uh, this this was generated from again from Monday night. John and Todd had some uh, viewers, listeners, however, on who like one was a Michigan fan, I think, and, and, and some more Big Ten and. The way the conversation was is like, oh, you know, we kind of uh, – this is how I, I, I 
presented it to the guys. I said, uh, a Michigan fan weighed in uh, with that, you know, like, oh, it, it, it'll all be okay, a little pat on the head type of approach. And I got to thinking with, with what this Michigan fan said was that we're no longer feared. We're not even hated anymore. Nebraska's just pitied, you know, and, and it's a – it's an unconscionable um, – thanks, Jason. You're not wrong. Uh, it's an unconscionable position to be in uh, for a program like Nebraska. We we don't – this is going to hurt, but this is the truth. We don't matter. We're irrelevant. No, we're not. People you know, want us to be good. People want us to be good. That's different than Iowa. Which leads me to, did it, I asked Todd this Monday night. I don't think he watched a lot of college football. Did you guys watch any other Big Ten teams? Uh, I watched Ohio State, Notre Dame. I watched Iowa, South Dakota State because it was on at the bar before the Nebraska game came on. And that was, wow, that was, uh, yeah. If you love offensive football, that was not for you. Uh, did, did you watch Indiana? Uh, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And Purdue and Penn State? Yep, watch Purdue Penn State. What do you think about any of those games? I mean, we're going to play Illinois. We're going to play Iowa. We're going to play Purdue. Well, Illinois roughed us up last year, and I kind of think the same thing will happen again this year. And that really pains me to say because there's not a coach I hate more than Brett Bielema. Um, Indiana, they have – I don't know about Indiana, but there's we had serious issues stopping them back in 2019. And who knows how their quarterback play will go, but if they can continue to get decent quarterback play, it could be a problem for us again, just like any team with a pulse. If they have a good quarterback, they're always going to have a chance to win any game. Um, Purdue, I, like I think those, I said that would be a wait, loss. Wait a Indiana, don't you think their team revolves around if they get a good quarterback, they're going to be good? Or is that just because of Michael Penix? He's at Washington now. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, Indiana, if they have a good quarterback with that offense, they can score a lot. Yeah, they can score a lot. Just like I know, I don't know who their OC is now because I know Kalen DeBoer is now the head coach out at Washington. He was their OC the last time we played them. But – it's a very – if they're still running the same basic scheme and they hadn't changed it much since even Kevin Wilson was their head coach, it's all quarterback driven. So when they had like Nate Sudfeld, um, he was effective enough even though they are handing off to Tevin Coleman. And then this year they still run a lot of bunch sets and, well, we have problems defending bunch formations in this defense. Um, not going to get deep in the weeds on that one. But – Illinois, we covered that one. Purdue, I'd say Purdue. we lost. I, yeah. Jeff Brom coaches circles around Scott Frost. Yeah. Then he screwed up at the end of that game. He didn't run the ball. He didn't – did you – I the time management, the clock management was terrible. You know, that's one thing in this conference that I've <laughs> – in the Big 12, it seemed like time management, clock management was not at the forefront of what you need to do to win games. In the Big Ten, you'd better be able to manage the clock. It's an okay. interesting uh, 
Pay, Sean Clifford ended up with Big Ten Player of the Week honors, and that if he was my quarterback watching that Penn State game, I would have ripped my hair all out. I think I, I've always liked Sean Clifford. I've always been a Sean Clifford really? defender. I think he's an effective quarterback. I think he has the misfortune of being the guy that came after Trace McSorley. Oh, that's true. And they probably hey. should have started Will Levis over him back in 20. Oh, my God, I laughed so hard I cried. Now my eyes are full of bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, here's one. Uh, let's see. John, any suggestions for essential oils to have on hand for Saturday's game? Oh, my God. I said something on Twitter about having essential oils. And look, look. I'm honest to God, I do. I have essential oils. I try this shit when I start getting brain, when I start getting headaches for my brain. Uh, and they actually used to have one called past tense that worked really well. None of the ones I have now work. And Saturday, this is like a clinic now. We should do another show for clinic. <laughs> I guess that's therapy. Um, they used to have an oil called past tense, but they no longer sell it, I guess, because it's too powerful. I don't know what the deal is with that. But that one used to actually help my headaches quite a bit. What I did Saturday, and I'll just to go ahead and admit this publicly, is uh, Minnesota recently <laughs> passed a law where THC is legal. A specific kind of THC is legal. So I have these little hard candies that are micro doses of THC. And what I've found is that... Uh, those things take the the very serious headaches and make them not as bad. So, um, <laughs> I look like a doper, don't I? Yeah. I've gotten a lot of comments about hippies and that stuff, and uh, you know, I don't I don't want to go down that road because uh, you know I asked my neurosurgeon, she says long term cognitive effects. Uh, she doesn't like the idea of marijuana because of long term cognitive effects, and I you know I. I listen to her because she's uh, actually the top neurosurgeon in Minnesota. We, you know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what a rabbit hole that was. Okay. Did, yep. You guys go ahead, Greg, Craig. <sighs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the show, Josh. You dick. Uh, so <laughs> last week uh, before the game uh, on Twitter, by the oh, way, you can, I, I know you can, and I know most of you do follow coordination on Twitter. At coordination, plain and simple. The Five Heart Podcast has its own uh, Twitter with more game reactions. About the only time that it's used is is during a football game. It's at the number Five Heart Podcast. Uh, but uh, I said, all right, just before kickoff, what's everybody's predictions? And Colin J predicted thirty-eight seventeen Huskers, and That's I had forgotten that by the time the, uh, the the game ended. So he he tweeted me again, he, or tweeted the show. He says. What do I win? I want a call from John where he yells at me and tells me how worthless I am. Thanks, go Big Red. I told him I'd see what I could do. John says, no, I'm not going to call him. He says, save it for the, uh, save it for the show. So uh, his name's Kyle. Actually, I think going back to last week, uh, it's Cameo and it's $75. But since he got it right, uh, you get to rant at Colin, John, if you'd like to. I'm having all sorts of difficulty this show. Uh, you know what I? Do, you know what I've been working on this week, Greg. A, a rant for Colin? No. Damn. I have been working on a T-shirt, a online store. 
and uh, we're we'll I'm trying to get all the pricing right and get all the stuff right, and we'll start out very simple with some Cobby T-shirts, and uh, I don't know, we maybe have- we'll give them away at some point after I figure this shit out. Can we have a shirt that says "Fullbacks uh, Dead, Go Big Red"? No, but I I that's not. I don't think we can do "Go Big Red." I'm pretty sure they will come after me for Go Big Red. Just like they, they came after, come after me for ball shirt. Yeah, they came after me for Nebraska ball. <laughs> they didn't like. They were like, uh, "We own that, buddy, and you can't use it." Uh, I have thought about a shirt that says, uh, "Screw the fullback, bring back winning." And then uh, tonight's show, tonight's show has resulted in a T-shirt that may say, "Everybody runs counter." Yes. Uh, do you want me to draw it up? Do you want me to draw up a diagram that you can put on the shirt? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That would be helpful. Yeah. Like, what, what did Northwestern specifically run? Uh, like, counter G, what the hell? Did you see that coach's short video? Oh. We should have loaded that for the show. It was a coach on Twitter who showed literally a four-second oh, clip. Casey. Northwestern. Yeah. 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 Showing basically our defense getting annihilated in in four seconds. It was terrible. And again, 18 runs in a row. That's why I cried during that game. Okay. They they, Uh, they stole this program's soul. They they did. That's that's actually a misattributed quote there. You know, sometimes, Matt, the things you say just hurt. <laughs> well, it's like what okay. Dan it's like what Dan Benning says on the radio on 1620. If you want to get right, you play Nebraska. Because I we, guess we are terrible. everybody's get right game. Oh, I probably should you never admit a THD thing, should I? Uh, it's okay. 2022. It's not nineteen thirty six. Do we do you guys have anything else? I, we've got Georgia Southern on Saturday. Well, we do. That is true. I did a Georgia Southern preview video before the season, and I called them an FCS team, and they are not an FCS team. They are a member of the Sunbelt Conference. I don't know, you know, because I'm old, I thought, oh, Georgia Southern, they're an FCS team. We're going to play two FCS teams in a row. And I have heard from Georgia Southern people on YouTube who were rather uh, upset with me for saying that they were an FCS team. So I apologize to the Georgia Southern people for um, misaligning your program. I just have a question back to the T-shirts. Could you get in trouble if, if with Haas doing a diagram of a trap? Could you get in trouble with the words "it's a trap" based on the the famous Star Wars Return of the Jedi quote? I don't know. See, as a guy who writes books, okay, mm-hmm. I I'm an author. And I've written books. You, there are certain things you can do and you can't do. Like you can't copyright the title of a book. You can't copyright the title of a song. But you can't use song lyrics or you will get sued because the record industry is very, uh, you know, they're nasty. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, It's a Trap would just be words, though, and you could just – I'd still go with Everybody Runs Counter. Uh, can we do a Scott Fraud shirt like Joel mentioned? You know what? I thought about that, and I thought, you know, we're already beating the guy to death. And, uh, you know, I thought, number one, those are going to be short-lived. And number two, when this is said and done, here's what I think we should do. 
I think we should just move on, all of us yes. as Husker fans. You know what I mean? There's, there's they, no need they, to now. somebody for the rest of their lives. They came here, they tried to do a job, didn't work out, move on. Yeah, I, I think we need to do that with each other too. I'll probably make a short video about this in the future. But uh, you know, even now, there's so many people with "I told you so"s about Joe, Bo, Joe Pellini, Bo Pellini, and Frank Solich. And you know, we tend to do this stuff where we just hold grudges and we hold these things against people. And you know, I if you got Scott Frost supporters out there, there's still Scott Frost supporters, and he gets fired, and we lose to Jordan Southern, and it's horrible. You know, just just let it go. You don't need to beat them into the ground about it. We don't need to be beating each other up. We need to be beating up our opponents. We know we need to do. We need to make fun of Viable because they suck. Even though that coach has been the longest tenured coach in FBS football, they still are unbelievable. I guess they win, but my God, even the Iowa, I think the Iowa fans booed that game, didn't they? Yeah. Oh yeah. And some somebody on Twitter tweeted, "You made those poor sick children watch that," <laughs> which I thought was one of the best tweets of that of college football weekend. Ah, okay. Should we do predictions? I think we should do predictions, gentlemen. Just a reminder to the listeners and viewers at home. A few weeks back, when we did our season predictions, we all predicted Nebraska to win including Todd, who's joining us uh, via the comment section because he's hanging out in his parents' basement. That's, I don't even think that's a lie. I think he's hanging out there. So uh, so let's do it. Uh, Haas, Nebraska, Georgia, Georgia, Georgia Southern uh, this Saturday under the lights. Well, so we're going to see a light show. That's going to be nice. All right. I know this is going to be an unpopular opinion. But I'm going to say Nebraska 41, Georgia Southern 40. Very reminiscent to the 2007 Ball State game. Oh, my I God. I remember that game. That's so painful. I think it's a matchup nightmare. I think it's a matchup nightmare with the offense that Helton's installing at Georgia Southern, the old USC head coach. He's now the head coach there, Clay Helton. Um, their transfer, their quarterbacks, the transfer from Buffalo, who played against us last year, Van Trees, I believe his last name is. Right. Not going to be intimidated by the environment. Pass happy. We've had some problems getting pressure on the quarterback. We've had some miscommunication issues in the secondary. And the other thing, this is actually a really talented roster that we'll be playing. Georgia Southern has recruited very well historically through a lot of three-star talent on their roster. They also get a lot of SEC cast-off transfers, guys who can't make it at an SEC school, and they transfer to Georgia Southern. I, this is a trap game. This I have not had a good feeling about this game all week. So Nebraska 41, Georgia Southern 40. I want to uh... – John, before roll it over to you, uh, Matt Faust in, in the comments. I it just new comments come in, so I just uh, but he said uh, prediction time: Georgia Southern fifty-two, Nebraska fifty-one. Casey Thompson throws a pick six to lose the game season over. Call it now. Matt's been a little bit 
of a pill tonight. So I don't know how much of that was sincere and how much of that was to uh, – there we go. He's changed his mind now. He has Nebraska winning 38-34. Uh, so, uh, David says Georgia Southern 42, Nebraska 24. It's time to move on. Uh, Jared says NU 24, Georgia Southern 21. Uh, losing it, Nebraska will be losing at half uh, 10 to 3. Uh, rough. Uh, Josh says Nebraska 42, uh, 17. Looking to see here what other ones that I see. I, I, Matt, thank you for the, uh, uh, the redemption prediction. I appreciate that. Uh, Buzzle says 34-31 Georgia Southern. Redwine says uh, Nebraska 42, uh, Georgia Southern 21. I think I've got them all. Uh, no, Joel, I think we talked about that before. Um, or at least I did a, a week, maybe just last week. Is Scott Frost gone if the Huskers lose to Georgia Southern? No, they'd at least wait till the buyout number drops down in October, correct? I mean, it, it, they're not going to – whatever it, the reduction is to, it won't be – now, unless he means eventually, uh, or it, if he means immediately, I say no. If he says it means eventually, I, I could see that possibly. Uh, I don't disagree with Roger that the fan base <laughs> – if, if Nebraska is losing at halftime, the fans are – the student section, especially the Boneyard, uh, but fans are going to empty out, I think. Um, they're not going to want to stick around for that. Um, so – Hoss, I thank you for your prediction. It's not nearly as cheerful and, and optimistic as we hope. Uh, John? I'm going to do what Todd did all year last year. We're going to win 36 to 24. Because uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I'd really rather not see us lose. I don't really have any faith in any of this, but, you know, there's just that, that last piece of me left that thinks we're going to keep pulling things out and maybe I'm the worst guy of all of this. I, I do see open receivers all over the place because for some reason we just, we play defense so soft and we can't stop anybody. So I, if we're smart, we will keep the ball on the ground with Anthony Grant and we will, you know what, we'll do what North Dakota did to us. We'll have 20 minutes of time of possession in the first half if we can even do that. And then we'll, you know, slowly whittle them down and continue to run the ball. And we'll, it'll be a good old-fashioned week down. <laughs> uh, I, As if the coaching staff is capable of doing that. <laughs> I, I like David's comment, uh, although he's, he's a week ahead. Uh, he says, OU 52, Nebraska 27, just saying. OMFG, help me during that game. My wife is a Sooner fan. David, you probably knew that before he married her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know the heart wants what the heart wants, but um, it, but I I guess the, the question is going to be, and and I'm, I'm kind of like you guys, and, and like everybody, uh, a little stressed and and anxious about the answer is: Are Nebraska's recruits going to be, be recruited players and, and recruited and developed? Players going to be better than, as Haas said a few moments ago, the SEC castoffs. Uh, that is a tough question because I mean, like I, I hate the SEC as much as the next guy, the South lost. Get over it, right? Um, but they recruit. It's a fertile recruiting ground. 
and they recruit in mass and then discard what you know they they don't want or, or don't need or can't use but this is it, it it sounds silly because it's georgia southern but it's a primetime game it's it's a it's gonna have a, a big event feel because of, of some of the theatrics dare i say that we saw last year right i mean obviously Again, you know, not to, to dwell on it, but, you know, the, it's going to be, you know, paint paint the town red type of, and paint the stadium red. It's, it's going to be – I feel I, – I have a feeling that it's going to feel bigger than it actually is. At the end of the day, it's it's a, a Sunbelt Conference, not an FCS or FCS team, but a Sunbelt Conference team coming in that uh, – shut up, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk. Quit to, uh, uh, chiming in from from the comment section, and you you got the link. You can join anytime. Um, but I I feel like there's gonna be, and it's a primetime game, and, and I I don't necessarily care for primetime games. There's too much. I, I think Hoss, you and I have talked about this in the past. There's too much time to sit around, and and you know nerves, anxiety, everything built up for the players as well. However, I'm going to say I think Nebraska is going to do the job. I think they're going to take care of business. I think we'll probably see a heavy dose of Anthony Grant uh, and and we'll sprinkle in the pass game as necessary. Um, the defense needs to do better at the end of the day. You can't you, you can't have long drives. You've you got to get off the field on third down. That has been the Achilles heel of this defense for years and being able to control the field, being able to control the clock, play Nebraska football, whatever iteration of, of whatever positive iteration of that is, because we've seen some, we've seen some bonehead Nebraska football, certainly. Uh, I'm going to say probably against my better judgment, I'm going to say, Nebraska 45. I'm going to say Georgia Southern 24. I could handle a, a three, uh, three touchdown win. I'd like I'd like to be able to hey. like I, I would like I would like the confidence of Ryan Tweedy uh, of the Big Red Comcast when he would go out every week and say 69 to three. It's a it's a very <laughs> difficult number to uh, attain, uh, but I liked his confidence. I. Nebraska should win, right? We have the talent. We brought in the transfer portal talent out the ass. And I think that's that's sort of the frustrating thing is I don't think when the players hear boos in, in the stadium, they think it's directed at them. It's not. We know that they're going out there and, and they're running the, the system, running the plays, playing how they were coached. So when the boo birds come out, it's not at the players. It's at the people calling the shots, and and so hopefully they have an understanding. I don't. I don't tell people not to boo because I boo. You know, it, it's, if if the product is shit, you paid for your, you paid for your ticket and the product shit. Yeah. It's, content, so, you, so you have to hold somebody accountable, and as fans, would would Hoss? I, I'll 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 ask you this question specifically. If you were a, a coach of, of a D1 staff. Would you rather get 
generic booze from a few thousand people in the stands, or would you get like specific targeted tweets? You know, <laughs> things like honestly, I'll take, I'll take the booze, man. That's all day long, right? Because you can okay, it's 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 a general boo. It's yeah. nothing. You know, I'm not feeling personally <laughs> or whatever. It's not, it's not so, like somebody's took the time to tweet at you, you know, like that, that's when it's like, yikes, man. With, with, uh, going back to your, your where relevant comment, uh, El Asico is this weekend. And for those who don't know what that is, El Asico is the term that a lot of us use for the Iowa, Iowa state game. That is sharing a time slot on, with four other games, and Nebraska is playing Georgian Southern on on primetime on Fox Sports One. So, I mean, if we're so irrelevant, why, are they just do they counting on people wanting to watch us bleed, eye, blood come out our eyeballs, and you know what I mean? That's really is that you? What did on the other hand, would you want to watch Iowa Iowa State? Nope. Yeah. I re- I honestly, I can maybe think of one time in my life that I've actually watched Iowa, Iowa State. Two teams from a state that I really hate and two teams that I just hate in general. So why am I going to waste my time? The jokes are great on Twitter. The jokes about El Asico are great. Well, I, I, I thought it was the most it's annoying the thing ever when the college game day went to Ames back in 2019, you know. As if Iowans didn't have to you know, position themselves as the darlings of the Midwest anymore. Spencer Petrus had a 1.1 quarterback rating. <laughs> Petrus is putrid. Spencer putrid. Is okay. Mm. All right. I, 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 I don't know about you all. Or something. I, I, I came in a half hour late, and I've still been here for an hour. So uh, <laughs> uh, this might be one of the longer five-heart podcasts that we've ever had, but we couldn't do it without you, uh, the, the viewers, the listeners, those who uh, tune in live every week, uh, watch John apply his essential oils. should be glad that you're seeing the ones that he applies there, not the ones that he applies there, you know. Um but uh, but those are those. Okay, let's but, move it on, buddy. <laughs> so we couldn't do it without you all. Thank you so much for for tuning in, for interacting with us, for your comments, for your questions, for uh, for your uh, steep steep ridicule of me for, for whatever reason. Craig takes a Craig takes it this week. So um, and evidently, I'm 14 years old. That's okay. Yeah, uh, you, right. you look. Uh, that's a good beard for a 14 year old. I know, you know. <laughs> Got started on the creatine back when I was eight, you know. Uh, so that all for this episode of the Five Heart Podcast. For John Dam Johnston, our founder, fearless leader, for Doctor Offense, who has a minor in defense, Hossreuter. I'm Greg Mahachko for the Five Heart Podcast. Coordination.com reminding you this week and every week that Five Heart is all the heart you need. John, go big red. Win the damn game. God, I, you know, I hope so. Thank you all for joining us. Have a good night.